This is a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. My guest this week is a dynamic musician who cannot be constrained by a single musical genre. Heather Shannon burst into the public consciousness as part of the internationally renowned independent rock band The Jezebels, performing in venues from the Sydney Opera House to the O2 Arena in London, as well as the legendary Glastonbury. But since that period, she's been composing music more in the classical genre, having worked with orchestras such as ACO Collective, the Queensland Symphony Orchestra and the Metropolitan Orchestra. And it's with the Metropolitan Orchestra that she'll be performing her latest work for its world premiere on Sunday, August 20 at the Marrickville Town Hall. And I'm delighted that Heather has found time in her schedule to be in conversation with me now. Heather Shannon, a very warm welcome to 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Thank you very much for having me. Now, this, I believe, is not your first commission from the Metropolitan Orchestra. You've worked with them before. I have. I've been very lucky to work with them. They played a piece of mine called Sequence and Variation a few years ago now and actually gave me the first opportunity I've had to work with an orchestra. So They sort of introduced you to this uh, genre, as it were. They did, in a way, yeah. And Sarah Grace Williams, a very she taught me a bit about you know orchestration and editing things and like that kind of got me started. So how, how much of a change was it compared to writing for a rock band? The main thing for me, has the, the most challenging thing has been doing it on my own uh-huh. rather than collaboratively. I think that's the main pull for me in a, in a band scenario is that you kind of can bounce your creative ideas off people and it's fun. It's got that fun, silly atmosphere every now and then. Mm. It can be really hard work as well, but if you're straining to, you know, get something out, someone can play something and then you can bounce off that and it's, there's this dialogue happening. Mm. Whereas when you're, when you're sitting there writing something on your own, it's, you, it's, you're the only engine at work there and you've got to really pull as many kind of from t- the tools that you know. Yeah. Is there a problem with like the blank piece of paper or the blank computer screen? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've found that it's best just to throw something at the wall and then rearrange what you've got and then see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, did, did you have that opportunity with the Metropolitan Orchestra to, and, and in, in the other orchestral style works that you've done to have that sort of workshopping aspect um, to it? No, it was different. I'd written the piece and then there was sort of um, the first run through, I think the clarinetist said, oh, that note's a bit too low. <laughs> Maybe I could play bass clarinet and we could change it to a bass clarinet okay. part. And I was like, that's an awesome idea. Let's do that. <laughs> so it was that kind of thing, um, rearranging certain parts. The music was all written, though. So it's a work for synthesizer and you'll in yeah. fact be playing that that role yourself. Right? Yeah, so this, this time I've actually just finished a master in research composition and I wrote this piece as part of the, the body of work for that. So this, this piece is called Strange Roses. Since doing that formal study of I can't believe the scores that I've been, <laughs> that I gave to the Metropolitan Orchestra back in the day, considering all of the new stuff that I've learned uh. about how to present your work. <laughs> so they were very kind to me looking back. But um, this is a work for orchestra and synthesizer and I'll be playing synthesizer. So it's a new new territory. I've never done this before with an orchestra. So right. 
Um, the previous works have just been you handing the music over. And, yeah, yeah, and then sitting in the audience and going, oh, my God, oh my gosh, this playing. is really weird. <laughs> I'm not playing my own music. <laughs> but, but, I mean, introducing a synthesizer into that classical, traditional orchestra mm. setting. Because a synthesizer, I mean, I think of a synthesizer, it's, it's, a, it's not just an electric keyboard, that is it? No, it's a really general term, actually, synthesizer. It, actually, I don't know technically what the term, what the the definition is, but there's a lot of different types mm. and it can depend on what brand, I guess, of synthesizer you have, what make, and they all have different functions. So I guess generally speaking, what what it means is that it's with orchestra and electronic sounds yeah, mm. that are played by a keyboard. But it's still in the traditional tuning system. Traditional tuning. Yeah. Um, there are detuned parts, so um, some of the sounds that I play have been shaped a couple of triangle waves, for example, and they're a little bit out of tune. Huh. And there's some more ambient sounds. So a lot of actually when I was notating it, that was really challenging to kind of because I, I sort of wrote it not thinking about the playability of it, which is typically me, and then having to learn as I go. But I had to map it to the keyboard in a way that sometimes the notes that I'm playing aren't matched to the actual keys that I'm hitting. So <laughs> if oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's going to be challenging to hand that to somebody else to play if, if somebody else wants to perform this Yeah, work. well, it's... It, <laughs> They'll need a briefing. It, yeah, it's kind of... It kind of hopefully I think it does make sense in a, in a way yeah. that maybe someone would be able to pick it up. And, cool. Yeah. So where does the title Strange Roses come from? Um, that's a big story. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when I was studying, I, I mean, I did my master's over four years part-time. Um, and so I had a lot of time to delve into a topic, which I wanted to be the Australian Gothic. And I don't know, I find it really difficult to describe what that is exactly because it, it's many different things depending on what you read and whatever. But basically when it, when my interest in that topic started, my partner and I were going, we went to this art exhibition in Melbourne titled Weird Melancholy, the Australian Gothic. And it was a bunch of artworks of Australian landscape painting that they weren't like the typical kind of Arthur Streeton picturesque pastoral landscape that you kind of were used to seeing, I guess. It was more like this these kind of dark, melancholy, haunted landscapes with like a, a small kind of colonial figure being enveloped by this scary-looking um, Australian bush. And in a way it was telling this kind of different historic narrative, I guess, and this sort of narrative of dislocation and maybe maybe this idea that coming to this new country and, it, in fact, it was already owned by a mm. culture that had been here for thousands of years. So I was really interested in that and the darkness, I guess, of that kind of aesthetically. And then since then I learnt that this kind of Australian Gothic tradition was quite established in Australian literature and cinema particularly. And then I thought, well, I'm going to the conservatorium, you know, I'm, maybe I can explore this idea of dislocation through classical musical forms and how you know, this language was developed in other landscapes but it brought to Australia and kind of the disconnect or the uncanny nature of that. And actually when you when you look at old, like early writings of, you know, settlers and stuff of that time trying to describe what the landscape 
is like. They use mm. kind of these English terms of pastoral and and even, you know, rocky kind of um, sandstone outcrops is looking like medieval cast- crumbling castles. And so I had this kind of image of my classical musical, you know, shapes and architecture or whatever as these crumbling castles within the Australian landscape. So <laughs> that's kind of generally wow. generally what my idea was. There's a lot. That's that's so much <laughs> to put. No, but there's so much to put in a in a single piece of music. Mm. It's extraordinary. But it, it it came out of a like a process, like a big four year process of me writing a bunch of music. I mean, I was so lucky because I got to study under Carl Vine, mm. and he gave me a really kind of solid foundation in technical Western classical music writing and. I was able to start creating that kind of forward motion in my music that that Western classical music has that I sort of previously didn't have with, you know, functional harmony. I learned about serialism and I I wrote lots of fugues as well. I love fugues. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Well, I think there's a fugue coming up in one of your selections a bit later, but um, we'll have to have our first uh, first selection, uh, which is, well, is a piece that you've written. Can you tell us what this one is? Yeah, so this is actually completely not what I just described. Um, (laughs) This this piece of music is from um, an album that came together over a few years. I went on an artist residency to Iceland and I wrote piano music there. And this is this is called Midnight Sun. It's the title track of the album and it was the first piece that I wrote when I was on residency there. I know it's a cliche thing to say in Iceland, you know, the 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 landscape seeps into the music and, you know, but it's <laughs> it's unavoidable it really like does. <laughs> it's it's a, such a incredible the landscape's very it's overwhelming, so It affects the way you do everything.
Midnight Sun, written and performed by Heather Shannon. And Heather is my guest in conversation today. Her new work, Strange Roses, is to be premiered by the Metropolitan Orchestra on Sunday, August 20, at the Marrickville Town Hall. Get along to metorchestra.com.au for more information and for your tickets. So, Heather, uh, you talked about that residency in Iceland, but that was kind of inspired or brought about by a, a rather unfortunate development in your life. Yeah. So with the Jezebels, we'd been touring pretty much nonstop for 10 years, nationally, internationally, living on, you know, in vehicles <laughs> together <laughs> in small spaces, out of suitcases and everything. It was an incredible experience we had um, and lots of travelling. And then I got an unexpected diagnosis of ovarian cancer and it kind of threw everything out of the water. Like um, we had to cancel a big tour, which is very unfortunate, but it kind of threw me onto a different path. And that's actually when I first, when I wrote the sequence of variation for the Metropolitan Orchestra, um, because I was at home a lot and then they were running a composer program. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll go in that and see how I go. No, you're not on the road, so. <laughs> no, I'm not on the road. I've got time to, you know, explore this other kind of musical life that I once had because I, I did have a classical background. So, yeah, um, I tried to make the most of the situation, I guess. After that, things just kind of slowly progressed and I, I mean, I had lots of treatment. I had chemotherapy and, you know, surgeries and things. Um, and then there was a point, there was a reprieve of all of that. And I decided to go to Iceland and write some music and be alone for a while. So it sounds like the sort of the, the change in your musical direction or the sort of the evolution of your musical direction is the catalyst is that diagnosis almost by coincidence. Or did it actually change something mentally in, in what you wanted to do with your yeah, life? Yeah, it's funny how life works. Like, I mean, touring was great and we had a lot of success and we're very, you know, but at the same time, it's quite, I don't know, it's hard. It's a yeah. very, very hard lifestyle. And, and I think towards the end of where we were at, this was after our second album. Oh, no, we were just about to go into our third album, Touring. It's a, four of us. It's a very intense. You've got a working relationship. You've got personal relationships and relationships within that too. I think all of us actually needed some time apart anyway yeah. to renew ourselves. And so... It's probably my nature to look back and try and find the positives anyway, but I think it just kind of threw me on this path of trying to write music alone. It's something that I always wanted to do. It was in the back of my mind. But when you're on tour, you just don't have the time or the energy to be able to do it. Mm. So in a sense, I'm kind of glad that I that I was thrown on a different path, yeah. Mm. I was reading about the writing of, of Midnight Sun and um, I, I read that you said that when it came to actually playing it, you realised that it was a bit unplayable, which, which is something actually you touched, in, <laughs> touched on before. Yeah. So can you expand on what, that, what you're talking about there? Yeah, so I obviously don't learn from uh, <laughs> my mistakes. I guess when I was writing it, I didn't have formal training in composition, which you don't need, necessarily need to have to, you know, be a composer, but um, there's just a few kind of things along the way that you miss or you don't know that if you do that now, it's going to make it easier down the road kind of thing. Can you give an example? Well, I think after many years of playing in the band and, you know, being a songwriter and all of that stuff, following my ear has been my main kind of way to write. So I literally just... I mean, I was using Sibelius, I was scoring my stuff, but I was just simply using my ear to 
write that sounds what, good that doesn't sound good yeah yeah, yeah yeah what i what i wanted to hear and to push my ear i guess and find new sounds kind of a bit more dissonance in my in my writing that i hadn't had before but after working with carl i think i understand the value now of kind of you obviously you still use your ear but also you need to kind of be analytical and technical in the way you approach something because otherwise whatever you write needs to be playable unless it's electronic or it's a soundscape or mm. something. When you're talking about playable, you, you're literally talking about able to get your hands around yeah, the notes. Yeah, like, um, you know, I realised I only had two hands and, and ten fingers. <laughs> oh, I see, yes, <laughs> you know? not, not three hands and 15. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, That's <laughs> so, fine. <laughs> I had all of these, like, big register leaps and things, which actually I, I, I really tried to preserve in the in the final thing, and it did make me play really strangely, and I worked really hard to learn how to play like that, which, <laughs> and I, you know, I did a few performances, did a little tour and stuff, put a lot of time into it. <laughs> Well, you mentioned Carl Vine, and uh, Carl Vine is the composer of Your Next Choice. Yes. Uh, which, and you mentioned Fugues before as well, and this is a Fugueta, so tell me exactly. about this piece and uh, why you'd like it. Well, I love this fugue. I mean, speaking of um, crumbling, you know, castles, I, this is like a, <laughs> I, I, for some reason it just makes me think of this fugue. It's from the Anlander Preludes. It's called a Fugueta, and it starts quite um, traditionally with, you know, think it's like intervals of sixth and quite consonant sounding and then as it develops it slowly kind of disintegrates and like becomes really this huge bizarre almost violent sounding piece although it still kind of is dictated by the rules of a fugue you know how a fugue plays out so I kind of like that about it. from Carl Vine's and Lander Preludes. The penis there, Bernadette Harvey, and that was the choice of my guest in conversation today, the musician Heather Shannon. Uh, Heather, can we go back to your very earliest years now? You, you grew up in Byron Bay, I believe. I did. And you actually learned, you sort of touched on before, you did learn classical piano. Uh, I did, yeah. So tell me about your memories of, of that period. I've just been totally nuts about the piano for since I was a child. like, And my parents just sort of, saw that it was something that I was taking seriously and they put the piano in a dedicated space for me so I could go in, close the door and practice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I was so devoted to it, to be honest. I just was so drawn to it. And, um, and I, I mean, I had an amazing teacher called Peter Harris, who was a local music teacher. And he's actually, he taught a lot of quite successful musicians that went on to 
um, start bands and tour internationally. So he's had a huge effect, a big um, effect on, on the musical education of that region. Yeah, he also kind of just his approach to the way he taught me, he just sort of stripped back the, I mean, I don't know, sometimes classical music can, can feel a bit unapproachable to some people mm. or intimidating. I think with him it was it was just a really open kind of introduction to that and I was able to just explore what I wanted. He let me play what I want. That It was not dictated. It was more kind of led by what I wanted, I mm. guess. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And one of your fellow Jezebels uh, was a friend of yours and you actually started performing together, is that right? Yeah. As teenagers. Yep, yep. So we grew up together and... Yeah, she always wrote songs. This is Hayley. This is Hayley. Sorry, Hayley Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She was always a songwriter and then I'd play with her and do some busking or, you know, play at the local folk festival. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good. We'd we'd earn enough to get a pizza or something for dinner. Yeah. What were you? What kind of music were you busking? We at that stage we were we were playing her music, so songs. So original songs you were playing. Original songs, wow. yeah, yeah. She she'd write folk songs, I guess. Actually, strangely, um, in Byron Bay at that time there was a huge culture of hardcore, which is like, um, you know what that is, but it's like punk sort of right. punk punk pop, mm. and you know the the haircuts and the dark clothing and. And so I think some of her music was inspired by that kind of like that sort of punky but like folky sound. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And I was I'm, I play a bit of violin too, so I was accompanying her on violin. So then, how does the Jezebel thing evolve from from there? So we both moved to Sydney at different times to go to uni, and then we we met the guys in the band Sam and Nick, and uh, yeah, we just started playing her and I were renting a um just a studio flat together and we actually used to rehearse like full band set up in that studio on King Street in Newtown wow the neighbors must have loved that oh my god <laughs> we, we actually did almost get evicted we, we missed a letter that came to us to say you, you know keep, stop. It down. <laughs> yeah, keep it down otherwise you're gonna get <laughs> kicked out and then we got like a final notice and we're like oh. oh my god we're sorry <laughs> yeah, so, um just really naive i guess but yeah we yeah. but you said yeah. you came down for uni you, you actually came to the con the conservatorium yeah you? i did yeah. yeah and did Haley did that as well no she did an arts degree right so the the con degree though was more in in traditional classical music mm-hmm. and so you were doing you're moonlighting doing this but you were doing a, a yeah being trained classically yeah yeah. So you you were obviously always drawn more to the to the rock stuff at least back then. Yeah, it's funny. I think like my I guess musical education was a lot more was quite rounded in that I would play in bands, I played original music with Haley. I did classical music on my own, so and it was also connect, I felt like it was connected to my visual art stuff and you know, it was sort of like this really it sounds like quite idyllic, I guess. <laughs> but um yeah, but then sort of going to the conservatorium, I got into the performance major degree there and I felt quite, you know, wow, this is – I'm not used to tunnel visioning this and not having all of these outside kind right. of influences. So or, you felt it was almost trying to cut all those other things out, was it? Yeah, and, and I did, like, I did well and I, 
you know, I got into the mindset and I was doing my, you know, five to eight hours a day or yeah. whatever. Because you were doing performance, not not. I was uh, doing performance. Yeah, right. I was doing performance, yeah. So did you see yourself as a pianist, as like a concert pianist? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was that for a long time. And, but then, because Hayley, um, and the band sort of started sort of halfway through my degree. And then I started to have this other influence, but which I think helped. I think it was more of a balance for me and I felt more um, whole as a musician. Mm. I could go and do the classical thing and then I could go and do this. And it's always been the two have, have informed each other for me. So mm, Nice. Yeah. Well, our next piece of music now, and this uh, sort of has Indigenous origins, I believe. Yeah, so Alara Briggs-Patterson, she's a Yorta Yorta woman. We actually met. Um, through a music program through Victoria Council for the Arts and, yeah, just had some really great conversations about music and I really admire her, um, the way she expresses her culture through her music and and also her political convictions as well. Um, and she's, she's an awesome bass player, double bass. And sort of all her music is shaped around her bass playing.
Alara with her own Dialana. The choice of my guest in conversation today, the musician Heather Shannon. So, so moving back to the Jezebels, if I may, where does that name come from? I think Haley had a cat called Jezebel <laughs> somewhere <laughs> along the way. Um, I don't know if it totally comes from that, but when we moved to Sydney, I guess, you know, you go to university and you learn about lots of different ideas and I think learning about feminism and equality and all of that stuff really kind of rubbed off on us. And Was, was there a kind of an eye-opening part of that, like you, you weren't experiencing that in Byron at all? Oh, uh, no. Maybe, you know, with the hardcore scene, like music-wise, there were no real kind of girls playing music or in bands and they were always kind of the girlfriends or the hanger-ons or mm. maybe, you know, in the wrong place kind of vibe. Yeah, I guess it just kind of, we felt empowered by those ideas um, as young girls, you know, wanting to start a band and play our own music and find our voice kind of thing. And I guess, you know, we're pretty punk ideals, I guess, mm. DIY, you know, that kind of thing. So the the, t- the name, the Jezebel, Jezebel is a um, character from the Bible. I don't know a lot about the character, <laughs> but I know that she was thought of as a, you know, a harlot. Yes. Um, but like a misunderstood, misunderstood um, character, basically, that had a violent death. So I guess we thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and we went with that name. <laughs> Why not? So was there, was there ever a plan or did it just, did you just want to do it and, you know, you just found the gigs uh, or did you sort of think, right, this is what we've got to do this year, this is what we're going to do next year? Well, our first gig was the Sydney Uni Band Comp. Ah, and we came second. <laughs> so over a period of, a, uh, I don't know how many weeks it goes for, a few weeks. It's like a knockout competition. Yeah, we it? were like, oh, my God, we got in again. we got to write another song. Oh, God, we don't have <laughs> enough songs. Um, so that, that kind of got kept us going. And actually one of the guys that was the judge became our manager in the end. So he first um, booked with our booking agent and then started to take us on as a manager. But... Basically, I mean, I had no idea how to start a band. Like, neither of us did. We we had these crappy kind of demos that we had on a CD we did at home, and we would just go to pubs and give them out and ask, you know, can we play? Can we play on Friday play? night? Yeah. Yeah. And what what response were you getting to that? Uh, every now and then. I think maybe we got a little slot somewhere playing in the corner, but not many places really had live music, so... Yeah, it was Even tricky. fewer than now. <laughs> Even fewer than now, yeah, yeah. Eventually, we kind of got on the um, the club circuit. There was like a bit of a like a dance club kind of vibe, indie club circuit, which there are a couple of venues in the Cross and some in um, King Street, uh, Newtown, and they'd they'd put on nights like music nights, and so a bunch of bands would play. So we'd do that, and then eventually from there you sort of get to support a band like that comes to do a bigger show. So you'll be like the support slot for an international band or and it's it's just like building up connections really and talking to people getting to know other bands we made some good relationships with community radio and all of that stuff so yeah that's kind of how it started so those support acts that you get with the international touring bands can you tell me about some of those so the first one we did was tegan and sarah they're um, a music group from canada and they've got a big following yeah, internationally they have, I'm not sure how many albums they've done, but a fair few. Um, but they were playing at the Enmore Theatre 
And they were also played a show in Adelaide and one in Brisbane, I think it was, or Melbourne. And we got on the tour. So, you know, I remember getting the, the text message from our from our manager. Guess what? You got the support slot for Tegan and Sarah. You're going to Adelaide. You're going to Melbourne. We were oh. like, whoa, oh, my God, we get to go to Adelaide. <laughs> like, never been to Adelaide <laughs> yeah. before. Get to play our music in Adelaide. Get to play it in Melbourne. Like, it was really exciting. Yeah, so, but, but yeah. whether it's Adelaide or Broken Hill or whatever, it, yeah. it's sort of, it's not about yeah. that. It's about being chosen, I guess, to be the support mm. band for an international act. Totally. So, so that obviously exposes you to a lot more people. I imagine yes. it's, it's, yeah. it's the main exactly. thing. Exactly, yeah. And then you've got your merch that you take, you know, along to sell. At that stage, you know, we were selling CDs and we might have had a T-shirt or something. Um, so you'd you'd play your set and then go and sit at the merch desk and say hi to people and be like, hi, did you like our music? You know, <laughs> be your own salesperson. <laughs> I mean, I, I never remember going along to a band for, for the purposes of the, of the support act, I confess. Mm, so yeah. so what what does that feel like when you are playing second fiddle effectively? It's, or are you just so overwhelmed by the fact that my God, You know what? It's actually great. It's, yeah. and, and even, you know, on even till recently we were doing support acts because you get to a certain point, you know, we, where you live in Australia or in a certain country and then you go step further, you go overseas and then you get on a support slot there and start to build your audience there. So this kind of cycle never stops. Yeah. Um, so you, if you go to any any show, there will be two, maybe at least one or two support acts, sometimes local bands. We used to love them overseas because you'd go on early and you'd get out early. <laughs> <laughs> And have a good night's sleep and get back in the tour van. Now that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like rock band to me. Yeah. Get a good night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Our next piece of music now, Heather. Uh, what's this one? Um, so Corinne is a really good friend of mine. We went to the conservatorium together, and she was also a piano piano player. And she's now she's a solo artist, an electronic musician. Her music is just incredible, and it's it's an experience to see her live actually because in listening to her music you wouldn't expect that she kind of plays a lot of it but she actually plays the music live and she she's about to go on a tour to eastern europe and play in you know clubs and festivals in germany and other places but this this piece is from her latest album which is called Lux Eterna and it's a little bit different it's not really beat heavy um, it's kind of got this melancholy, minimal piano sound, but then it sounds like whoever's playing it is like in a post-apocalyptic hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Corinne Eletto with her own Illumina. The choice of my guest in conversation today, the composer and musician Heather Shannon. And Heather's latest work, Strange Roses, is being premiered by the Metropolitan Orchestra on Sunday the 20th of August at the Marrickville Town Hall. Get along to metorchestra.com.au for more information. So I want to know more, uh, Heather, about those those tours and going to places like Splendour in the Grass and Glastonbury and all those kind of famous names. I mean, I want to hear what it's like from the from the band side of things because I imagine it's pretty full on and grotty as well. That side. Yeah, it can definitely be grotty. Um, <laughs> Glastonbury was really great, such a spin out to be able to play there. But I'm glad we all had gum boots. Like it was <laughs> the I've never seen so much mud in my life. <laughs> it was like going from you know even just to get food and like 50 meters away would take you a long time to get there because you'd have to trudge through like a sea of mud um, that came up to you halfway up your your shin kind of thing. But yeah, we did a great show. It was, it was cool. It was a really cool experience. Mm. Your final album, or sorry, the the final album of the Jezebels, at least to date is called Cynthia. As I understand it. And that that was kind of the album that you were, you were wanting to tour when, when you got that diagnosis. Um, Now that, that has a lot of meanings actually, that album, that album title, doesn't it? Can you unpick that for us? Oh, Haley's better at um, the word side of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Cynthia, it's very synth-heavy. I mean, that this is taking it literal. Because it was a bit of a departure style-wise from the other stuff, wasn't it? The yeah. I mean, I think every time we, we've written something, we've wanted to try and, I guess, explore new ground. Mm. Um, and the best way to do that, I guess, is to to use new instruments buy something new <laughs> yeah if you got the money something that you haven't been using yeah, yeah exactly and I did have I did have a new instrument called a profit synthesizer which is what I use in strange roses as well and it's a it's a really cool thing where you you can program like a sequence like a you can program 16 steps basically and it can play this kind of ostinato over and over and it can be an awesome way to find like a groove for a song and we did that a fair bit with mm. that synthesizer. So the kind of groundings of the songs are based in synth grooves. And I think actually that we'd, we'd supported Depeche Mode through Europe the year before or a few months before. And I think the way that they kind of shaped their music around synth grooves really inspired mm. that kind of approach. So would you regard the Jezebels as still a an ongoing thing? Yeah, we're still a band. We, I mean, we've got demos floating around. We always kind of talk about getting together to write. It's funny once you kind of part, everyone's got their own stuff going on now, so you've got to find like the time to get, get together. Get everyone's diaries together. Get everyone's <laughs> diaries. Yeah, share Google Google diaries or whatever. But there was no conscious decision to stop playing. It was just the fact that you just didn't book another gig, right? Kind of. Yeah, no conscious decision. Um, we didn't break up or anything. We just sort of went on hiatus. We we did a tour last year, which was like a anniversary of our first album, 10-year anniversary. So we still kind of occasionally get together when when, when it's makes sense. But that wasn't meant as the kind of the, the kickstart to the second 10 years, as it were, was it? Maybe. <laughs> and I think we have toured with bands that, you know, they get together in their 40s and yeah. 50s and do another album. So I kind of like, I'm inspired by that kind of longevity. Yeah. It's hard to have longevity as a band, I think. So um, not putting too much pressure on it. It's It can get a bit sort of like, you know, the cat's so cute. I want to, you know, like <laughs> just pat it to death. Pat it to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so when the time's right, I think I think we need to we need like a reason or like a an interesting kind of th- thing that connects us creatively to then do yeah, good but, music. But nothing's actively stopping you. Nothing's Is actively it? stopping yeah, us. No, that's good to hear. No. I want to learn more about your compositional techniques. Um, you work on the keyboard, obviously. Um, do you need to search hard for the inspiration? It depends. I tend to every time I write something or start a new project, I like to learn something new that can make it really hard (laughs) for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the strange roses is sort of the, the the impetus behind strange roses was quite a in-depth lengthy, uh, (laughs) uh, in terms of, you know, rationale for, for where this piece of music came from. Uh, Do they all need that kind of No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. That was just because I've, that's what you have to do when you do a master's degree. You've got to get really intense <laughs> about why you do things. You but, have to have a reason behind everything that you do. But, yeah. but can you take on a commission where it's like, right, we need a five-minute work for this instrument, this instrument, and that instrument, and we need it by Friday week or something, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. the headline is. Yeah, I could smash you can it do out. That. You can yeah, smash yeah, that, yeah. Right? yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so do you, is your composition sort of improvisation, which is then sort of transcribed, or is it, is it, does yeah. it start from the page? That's a good question. I don't even know. I think it's a bit of everything. I think uh, like Midnight Sun came about through improvising bits. I think it's like for me getting that sense of like spontaneity happening, whether it's that's through improvisation and then sort of shaping that or using some sort of electronic instrument to bounce off. You know, I really like that feels quite intuitive for mm. me to work in that way, whereas the stuff that I wrote for the master's degree, including Strange Roses, was it was a bit more calculated in the sense that it came from, okay, I've, I want to use serial techniques, so I need to map out, you know, some tone rows and the combinations and all this stuff. Mm. And for me, that was actually, I really enjoyed working that way because it was quite refreshing and it was a new experience. So it kind of, I guess it depends on where, I'm, where I want to end up. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, Strange Roses started out as a very kind of mapped out technical thing. Um, and I wrote I wrote a, a piano suite and a string quartet, quite traditional kind of pieces. And then I took aspects of that and I programmed it for synthesizer. So I kind of reimagined it mm. or dislocated it from its kind of source into something that became more ambient and stretched out. And, and then I added an orchestral arrangement to those wow. soundscapes. So I think there's a bit of everything in that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. So do you have time for any hobbies? <laughs> or is this your hobby? Um, I started gardening recently. Oh. That's nice. You find it restful or? I do, mm. yeah. I don't think you can be stressed while you're gardening because it's really slow and like... Mm takes time so you can't be like oh i gotta get this done uh," (laughs) you know (laughs) so that's a nice way to um relax for me um i like to read yeah what sort of things do you like to read i've got anna funder's new book i don't know if you've it's called wifedom i think it's about george orwell's wife ah yeah so is it actually like a a biography or is it uh it's a non-fiction she's done research into george orwell's wife and kind of brought her back to life through letters and mm. things. So it's kind of a historical, yeah. Mm. Nice. Yeah. 
Our next piece of music now, Heather, and uh, will we do venture into, I'm not sure if it's the world of pop music, but it's certainly a sort of a pop star with Bjork. Mm, yeah. <laughs> was she, a, was she a, a, an idol of yours back in the day? Definitely. Uh, I tend to think of Bjork as one of my music teachers <laughs> because oh, yeah. I've um, listened so much to her. Um, very informative, I guess, in my early years. But this song, The Gate, uh, I really like this. It's from her album Utopia and I think on most of the songs in that there's a, a flute ensemble that plays, but it's quite electronic, the music. But I, I really like that combination and the flute lines seem to be kind of drawn from like some sort of angular lines of a synthesizer, so it's quite unusual. My healed child Transformed into a Yeah. 
unique sound of Bjork with The Gate, the choice of my guest in conversation today, musician Heather Shannon. Well, Heather, there is something so unique about that voice and performance style, though, isn't there? It's, yeah. it's, it's, there's no one else quite like it. Mm, yeah. You're never trying to emulate somebody else when you were performing? Um, oh, it's funny you say that. Sometimes I think just because of those, you know, formative years when you're young and you just listen to the same thing. Well, I don't know, maybe you had a different experience. No, but... I listened to the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get obsessed with yeah. music and go into the world of it and want to understand it. And I feel like in a way I'm always just trying to emulate Bjork and Tori Amos in everything that I really? do. Even if it's not a conscious decision, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's um informed my sensibilities of music so much that I, it's, I don't know, yeah. Fascinating. So if you could go back to Byron Bay and talk to the teenage version of yourself, is there something that you'd want to tell her? Hmm. I'd probably, I mean, I'd probably just reinforce something like embrace the things that make you not fit in. You know, when you're writing music, I don't know, this is probably just my own kind of ideas of what what I find interesting, but I'm drawn to music that's unusual or that sticks out from other things in interesting ways or that doesn't kind of follow maybe trends or movements. Mm. Does that sort of almost echo that thing that you, you when you're writing something else or when you're performing something else, you always wanted to, you know, you wanted to buy a new instrument, you wanted to buy a new thing, you wanted, to be, you wanted it to be different to the thing before it? Yeah. Is that where that comes from? I guess so, Yeah. It, I don't know. It's it's like keeping your own interest in writing music and weighing up the also, you know, what's the context of the music I'm going to write? Is it mm. you know going to be commercial or is it going to be? Is there room for it to be experimental and something unusual? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Heather Shannon, it's been absolutely marvelous having you here today. But before I let you go, you do have one more piece of uh, music to introduce, and this is well, this is certainly from an Australian great. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so Ross Edwards Symphony Number no. Two, and it's the second movement. I was interested in this piece because he uses um, Judith Wright's poetry, and it kind of influenced me in my kind of reading about the Australian Gothic because it has elements of um, landscape and kind of ideas of dislocation. And, and I thought that the way he sets up his musical languages was really interesting, how, how they contrast. Heather Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Musician Heather Shannon, her new work, Strange Roses for Synthesizer and Orchestra, will receive its world premiere when she joins the Metropolitan Orchestra under the baton of Sarah Grace Williams for a concert which also includes Dvorak's New World Symphony. It's at the Marrickville Town Hall, Sunday, August 20. Visit metorchestra.com.au for more details. And you can follow everything Heather is up to on Instagram at Heather Shannon Music. That's the program for today. Listen to previous episodes at 2mbsfindmusicsydney.com slash inconversation and you can follow the show in your preferred podcast app. Just search 2MBS In Conversation. I'm Simon Moore, thanking you for your company on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. <laughs>